Hello, and welcome to Queer as Fiction, where we talk about queer historical media. I'm Jason. I'm Elo. And today we're talking about the 2019 film and 2009 novel, Tell It to the Bees. We have a couple of content warnings for this episode. Homophobia, including homophobic violence, sexual assault, and forced abortion. If any of that sounds like something you don't want to listen to, that's totally fine. We have plenty of other episodes that you can go and listen to which have different content warnings, um, which you will hopefully enjoy. Not the content warnings, the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tell to the Bees, the novel, uh, was published in 2009. It's written by a woman named Fiona Shaw. Shaw is gay, as is her ex-husband. They split up and both immediately went into relationships. This happened when their daughters were sort of in their late tweens, early teens. Mm. And I read an interview talking about how they both struggled initially with kind of the sudden change to their lives in terms of dealing with a separation, but also coming to terms with their parents as sexual beings that existed outside of the norm. And I feel it is interesting to bring up in the sense that I can see that reflected in the character of Charlie uh, mm. as portrayed in both the novel and film. Okay, that's interesting because as I imagine we'll get into later, uh, I had, I guess, like thoughts or questions about Charlie and his purpose in the story, etc. So Yeah, definitely the interview that I read particularly the part where, because this interview interviewed both Shaw and then her two daughters. Yeah. Um, and particularly the older daughter um, seemed to have a kind of Charlie-esque <laughs> narrative <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, in terms of her response. Sure. But we'll get more into that, as you said, later. Mm-hmm. So Shaw is not a super popular novelist. Like She's published, I think, four or five books. It was a little bit difficult to find information about them. Like None of the books even have Wikipedia pages, so it's not... This isn't, like, super high-profile stuff. Mm. So I was kind of interested to see how this movie got made. Yeah, that's fair, I guess. Just sad lesbian period pieces are really the go at the moment. (laughs) Yeah, I guess they are. (laughs) And that got me into sort of the people behind the film. So the film was directed by Annabelle Jenkel. Apologies if I'm saying that name wrong. I couldn't find any audio of someone saying it. Who I looked up her previous credits. So she's only directed one feature-length film previously, and it was the 1993 Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> Amazing. Which what? <laughs> Fantastic. What? <laughs> uh, and then they let her do something else. Yeah. She also co-created the fictional artificial intelligence character Max Headroom, who starred in his own TV series. I, I had never heard of this before, but I think I feel like if you are a listener who grew up in the 80s, you might have heard of this. Plausibly. It seemed b- really bizarre. So she directed the Super Mario Brothers movie, I and do, yeah. that ended her career for sure. 25 years. Oh, no. <laughs> Which was what I suspected reading the Wikipedia article, but then I found an article basically confirming that. I mean, you don't direct that movie and then just coincidentally not direct any more movies, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Jankel, or Yankel, um, loved the book and optioned the rights for it within a year of it being published. So I think it was just somewhat coincidental. It got kind of handed to her and someone was like, you'd like this. And she just got really passionate about it. Okay. um, Very quickly. I'm not sure anything about her personal life, but that seems... 
That does seem quite gay. Um, I do we not know anything about her. I, I didn't find anything about her potentially being queer. She has been married to a man before, but okay. obviously that doesn't preclude one from being queer. Given Fiona. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the screenplay was written by two women as well. Uh, the twins, uh, Jessica and Henrietta Ashworth, who uh, have worked on Killing Eve and the Sarah Jane Adventures. Okay. Um, which I just thought was cool to see that there were like women involved at yeah, yeah, yeah. various cool. levels of this production. Yeah. In terms of how it was actually created, it was funded by the British Film Institute and Creative Scotland, which explains why the film is shot in Scotland, whereas in the book is set in Yorkshire. Oh, okay. We're going to come back to the Scottish setting later. I would love to, yeah. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to say about the production of the film, which is not super relevant in terms of queer history, but I just thought it was interesting, uh, was when it comes to the bees... Okay, sure, yeah. Um, I imagine much of this episode will be about the bees. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The real protagonists. I just assumed the bees were CGI. As did I. But apparently there were real bees. I think there was CGI involved. Okay. For reasons that will become obvious when we describe some of the scenes later. But yeah, I read an article talking about sort of when it came to shooting the bee sequences, uh, the film's director of photography suggested they look at a 2012 documentary called More Than Honey. That film's cinematographer, uh, Attila Boa, came on to handle the bee photography, bringing with him bee wrangler Peter Hopfgartner. There's a quote saying, Hopf doesn't even wear the bee suit. He does things and the bees follow him. Yankel, who dubs Hopfgartner Bee Whisperer, adds he slept with the bees, seduced the bees, tickled the bees, fluffed the bees, which... Alright, if we have to mention the bee movie one time in this episode, (laughs) I think it should be now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, okay. That just gave me strong bee movie vibes. Strong, strong bee movie vibes. Let's move (laughs) along. That's interesting, I guess, as we'll get into later, um, in when we think this movie starts to become magical realism, because according to that, never. It's just real. (laughs) But we'll come back to the bees, I guess. Uh, So that's a bit of context about the creation of the book and how it got turned into a film. I guess now let's talk about the film itself, which is sort of the major piece of media that we're going to look at here. We'll reference the book a few times, but we're largely going to be talking about the film. I guess first up, how did you feel about it? Yeah, you know, slightly B minus. That wasn't a B joke. (laughs) It just was okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like, it was fine. As I said before, it's, like, a fairly typical sad lesbian period piece. So, you know, it's that. Mm -hmm. There were some things that I really didn't like. There were a few things that I liked more. Those things resulted in averaging out to being okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I really just want to talk about the bees. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think of the film? So when I watched it, I quite enjoyed most of it. I think my response to it, having now read a bunch of reviews and thought about it more, is pretty similar to the general critical response, which is, oh yeah, the first two thirds were pretty good, and then it kind of went a bit off the rails in the third act. Um, Are they referring to the bees? They are referring to the bees, but also to the uh, quite graphic violence in the third act that comes a bit out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can talk about the degree to which either the violence or the bees come out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that it certainly escalates very quickly, but I think it's all fairly, like, forecasted pretty clearly. Yeah. No, and I think I've I've kind of gone back and forth on how Mm. I feel about that. It may just be a symptom of, like, again, the sad lesbian period piece, but... 
I think, like, for me, I was just like, no, no. Oh, okay, yeah, we're inevitably in this stage of the film now. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. No, that's fair. So before we go any further, I'll figure I'll go over the plot of the film. So Tell It to the Bees follows Lydia, who is a struggling factory worker whose relationship with her husband is breaking down as the film begins and documents her growing connection with the local doctor, uh, Jean, who has recently moved back to the small village that they are in. It's where she grew up, but uh, she left under extenuating circumstances, which we discover as the film progresses to have been related to homophobic attitudes. Lydia and Jean's bond is initially prompted by Jean's relationship with Lydia's son, Charlie, who starts to look after her beehives in her backyard, and hence the movie title. Um, The film is set in 1950s rural Scotland, and as the two women's relationship develops, Uh, The attitudes of the townsfolk towards the two women's relationship are sour and there are several efforts made to kind of break up the relationship and to separate Charlie from his mother. That's broadly the first sort of two-thirds of the film. Um, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail about the third act uh, because it's relevant to the discussion that we're about to have, particularly as it relates to the bees. Bees! (laughs) So in the third act, uh, a few things happen. Charlie is taken away from his mother by his father and his father's older sister, who seems particularly involved in this process. There is also a running subplot uh, revolving around that sister's daughter who gets into a what is in the film an interracial relationship which is unapproved of by her family and she gets pregnant and then a forced abortion is undertaken upon her against her will mm. at which point when uh, Annie the daughter is dying as a result of the blood loss as a result of having a forced abortion done to her Jean comes in and saves her and this kind of thaws the relationship between the two warring parties a little bit but ultimately what brings Charlie back to his mother is the actions of the bees who attack Robert uh, Charlie's father when he is attempting to assault uh, Lydia Charlie's mother at the end of the film whilst Charlie and Lydia are reunited They decide to leave the small town and move to Canada, and Jean stays behind to fulfill her father's post as the local doctor, her father having died before the events of the story begin. Parts of the film are narrated, particularly at the start and the end, by uh, an older Charlie, and he talks about how uh, whilst Jean had promised to follow them eventually and um, come be together with them as a family, she never did. And yeah, so that's the ending to the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are quite a few differences between that and the novel. It's probably the three main differences. Uh, Firstly, uh, the scene where Jean saves Annie's life in the novel is explicitly framed as a bargain that she strikes with Robert's sister in order to get Charlie back. So, to be clear, uh, I did not read the book as we will be focusing on the (laughs) film in a desperate gambit to keep these episodes at a nice, cool 45 or so, maybe. (laughs) So, I am hearing that for the first time and I do not care for that at all. Yeah, it's a quite intense scene. I mean, it's intense even without that in it, so I can only imagine. Yeah, so it's definitely a more grounded way of resolving the conflict. It's not bees obeying the instructions of a small child. But yeah, it is definitely, it definitely frames Jean in a much 
colder mm. light than the film does. You know, she wants to save this woman's life, but she's also very upset and angry, and she very coldly kind of uses that to her advantage. Is the sense that it's a sort of a gamble on her part where she thinks that, like... Annie's mother will just do whatever she wants at that point or is she do you get the sense literally willing to be like all right then she dies and leave I'm not sure okay um I think probably the former okay in that she does go to some effort to appeal to her better nature Mm -hmm. yeah she is just so angry about the first abortion having happened in the first place that she does seem somewhat willing to just leave. Flawed logic. (laughs) But that's one major difference. Mm -hmm. Um, The other major difference is in terms of the sort of ending for the two women. So in the novel, they actually stay together and move away together to Italy um, with Charles. Fiona Shaw has been quoted in an article responding to the change that was made in the film as saying, this bit of sweetness is a straight person's finale. So it seems like whilst she overall had fairly positive opinions about the film and the production of it, she definitely found the ending in the way it was adapted dissatisfying. And then the third change, at least from my perspective, is not so much a concrete plot element, just the fact that the violence is much more graphic and on screen in the film, which obviously is part of just the medium of Mm. film versus the medium of text. Certainly the forced abortion scene and then the confrontation between the two warring parties is quite intense and graphic in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember when we went to see this in cinemas and I went to the bathroom <laughs> and I was like, this seems like the closest it's going to be to a time when nothing is happening until the end of the film. And I come back and I've missed a forced abortion. <laughs> yep, I do. And I was that. just like, oh, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then the other change, which I've kind of like flagged a bit already, but relates to how whilst in the book, the conflict is resolved by Jean and by her actions. In the film, the bees have a prominent direct role in getting Robert out of Lydia and Charlie's life. And one of the film's producers, Daisy Alsop, uh, is quoted as saying, in the book, the bees are more in the background. Um, We've really brought them to the fore. The bees are the way the child makes sense of the world. He tells them his secrets. He thinks they're going to help them. And so, yeah, those are kind of the major differences. So what did you think of the ending in comparison to what what you now know about how the book ends? So... Maybe let's first talk about the bees. Yes. So just to be clear, are the bees just like normal bees in the book then entirely? Uh, yeah, as far as I can okay. tell. Okay. It's not that it doesn't make sense to have made that up. It's like for the movie. It's just that of the things that changed for the movie, I'm surprised that that is one of them. Mm. That seems like a bold thing to do. Mm. Be like, sorry, Fiona, your bees are magic now. <laughs> yeah. And um, I definitely read when they were bringing on the screenwriters, yes. they deliberately chose uh Jessica and Henrietta Ashworth because a script that they had just worked on was a fairly grounded tale that had a small element of magical realism. Okay. And they really wanted to play that up in the film. Yeah. So this was definitely, yeah, like a very deliberate choice on their part to play that element of the novel up. I watched an interview with Yankel where she mentioned the magical realism element and she kind of rejects that label. Okay. And sort of says it's not so much magical realism so much as an extent of Charlie's belief in the otherworldly. Okay. Which gives me the implication that Charlie is... Yeah, Yeah. that Charlie is an unreliable narrator. Yeah, okay, interesting. Which I guess is an interesting way of doing things, but is not how it comes across in the film. No. I think you and I had maybe, like, different reactions to when the bees became clearly magical as well, because 
because I feel like it was pretty much in the final scene mm. and it wasn't really apparent before that. Mm. And, like, any degree to which it was apparent before that did come across as quite like, oh, yeah, but, like, that's just a child perceiving control over the world that he does not have. Mm. You know, so there's a scene where he, he's, like, got a bee on his finger and he's like, hey, go to the purple flower, and it does. And that, to me, is not actually any, like, oh, my God, this is magical. That's a child finding a pattern that he wants to find because he thinks he's friends with bees. Yeah, and I think that's a reasonable way to respond to yeah. that. Um, I think the film does kind of frame Charlie's relationship with the bees as somewhat magical and I think that the things like the musical cues related to the bees and the way the cinematography shows them, I feel does a reasonable job of developing this kind of pseudo-magical bond between Charlie and the bees over the course I of the film. I guess the thing is, is that like I think so too but I just think that like there was nothing to suggest that that was real mm. and I don't know how you clearly delineate between those two things of, of like if this is something that Charlie's perceiving or if this is something that's objectively happening and it's so tied into like just Charlie with the bees mm. that I guess I passively assumed the former until all of a sudden there were magic bees <laughs> So obviously these are Jean's bees mm-hmm. and she tells Charlie to tell his secrets to the bees and Lydia references that like folk rhyme of like you have to tell the bees. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it is. So they are somewhat aware of this like bee connection one might be able to have, I guess. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot of, yeah, like folk and historical connections that are made with the bees. But... I guess it, it'd be interesting if there was some hint that Jean had had a similar thing when she was younger, but there isn't really anything like that. Yeah, no, it it much more comes across as that she is trying to help develop Charlie's enthusiasm for the bees rather than that she genuinely believes anything about the bees mm, being magical. Her interest in them is quite, or the way she encourages him to be interested in them is quite like scientific almost. She's got him like taking down little notes about like the queen will be this size compared to the worker bee and things Mm. like that, which is a very different mood. Mm, mm. But the bees definitely do become magical at the end. Yeah, I'm not an expert on beekeeping. Okay. But as far as I'm aware, we can't direct bees to attack someone. Uh, what a different world it would be. <laughs> um, this isn't D&D. This isn't Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> Can you do uh, that in D&D? Direct bees to attack someone? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've said multiple times how this is just a typical sad lesbian period piece, and I'd kind of made up my mind about what this film was, and then all of a sudden there was a magic swarm of bees, <laughs> and I was like, I guess I need to rethink what this movie is a little bit. And so I kind of enjoyed it for that, just for being like the like bees ex machina mm. that prevented a homophobia-driven rape. Yeah. And made this a little different and a little sort of colourful. So on that front, I like the bees. But also I'm kind of just like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, and certainly the second part of their action, the what, yes. um, <laughs> characterises a lot of the critical response to the film. I read several reviews which discuss the wild tonal shift in the third part of the film, which, to be fair, I would say is also fairly abrupt in the book, um, especially since in the film part of what predicates Charlie being taken away from uh, Lydia is that he sees Lydia and Jean in bed together. Um, and that doesn't actually happen in the book. All Charlie notices is there is one night where he opens his mother's door and she's not in her own bed um, during a lightning storm. Okay. And yet it is really abrupt where he just is like taken away. It's also interesting in that it's not, whereas in the film there's some agency on the part of Charlie yeah, where he yeah. runs away. Yes. And the fact that he is kept from his mother is somewhat against his will. Mm. But like he does initially run away in kind of 
horror and confusion from his mother and Jean's relationship. But in the book, he simply mentions what has happened to, I believe it's Annie, and then sometime later, Robert picks him up from school and just withholds him from Lydia. Whilst some of the reviews I read kind of implied that the adaptation of the film was what had made this kind of tonal shift towards the dramatic and the violent fairly abrupt, I would say, if anything, it's just as abrupt and violent in the novel. Okay. Certainly the added bees nonsense, which we've just discussed, um, (laughs) does give the whole third act a bit of a wild, schlocky vibe, which is at odds with the kind of prim, soft, proper aesthetic pervading the film as a whole. It's very Mm. intensely British. Some of the interviews and reviews talk about soft colours in the cinematography and the way that different characters have very, like, particular styles of dress, um, indicating their status within the kind of 1950s uh, rural environment that the film takes place. In. Did you have any thoughts about the camera work when the whole bee shenanigans was going on? Because <laughs> it gets real wild. I didn't have direct thoughts. Do you want to tell us your uh, thoughts? Like, I don't really have a lot of thought about what it means or anything mm. like that, but, like, it definitely just kind of, like, gets a bit nuts. Mm. And there's, like, not shaky cam, but it's just kind of, like, this, like, blurred, chaotic quality to the cinematography that mm. just adds to how confusing it is that there's now a, like seeming like someone sentient swarm of bees um, and I, I guess you could kind of submit that as evidence however you wanted as to whether or not this is like really happening or not um, just while we're on the bees actually there were a lot of bee close ups in this and I can't go this whole episode without mentioning that once mm. that like if you're not into like insane close ups just like don't <laughs> yeah true um, yeah if you don't like bees at all a lot of like a lot of bees and a close up on like, not just one bee, mm. but, like, just a mess of insect bodies. And it was just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely gave me uh, weirdly Hannibal vibes at points. Yeah, that's a weird comparison to make for this film, but I know what you mean. <laughs> uh, so having talked about the bees, should we now discuss a bit about how we feel about the ending and the comparison with the book? Sure, yeah. Because, yeah, sort of, as I said earlier, uh, Fiona Shaw was clearly a bit dissatisfied with it. I thought that... Yeah, I kind of tend to agree with Shaw's analysis. She pretty explicitly talks about how a lot of lesbian fiction often ends with tragedy. Mm -hmm. Um, And whilst, to be fair to the film, it doesn't end in death or murder Mm -hmm. or someone being locked in an insane asylum or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Thanks to the bees. Um, Thanks to the bees. But yeah, certainly it is bittersweet where Shaw explicitly frames it as a sweet ending and thinks of that as a more radical Mm -hmm. way for the story to end given the broader context of how we see queer cinema and Mm. queer fiction. I don't want to comment too much on the book because I haven't read it Mm. and I didn't read a bunch of articles or like interviews with Fiona Shaw uh, for research for this episode as you did Um, but I did read some interviews with her just like when the movie was kind of announced and just coming out because, like, gay people get excited about any gay movie that comes out. <laughs> um, and I, I think I remember, and, like, let me know if you are aware of this quote or have no idea what I'm talking about because mm-hmm. I could be misremembering. Mm-hmm. Fiona Shaw kind of saying something about, like, given the environment for these two women to have a happy ending, I needed to remove them from their setting and that's why they go to Italy. Yeah, that, that okay. tracks with um, both what is sort of written in the book mm-hmm. pretty explicitly and her general attitude towards it. Okay. I guess that makes me wonder what the relationship of Jean to the town is in the book. Because the relationship of Jean to the town is my favourite part of this film. Mm. 
Um, now, so obviously Lydia never really feels like she's at home in this town, and I feel like even if she hadn't ended up in a relationship with a woman that meant she was ostracized, clearly wanted to, like, get out of here at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, her staying in the town it seems more to do with kind of, like, poverty and at the start of the movie not wanting to fully move on from the relationship that's crumbled and so forth Mm -hmm. rather than this being like a home she's trying to hold on to Mm -hmm. Jean on the other hand this is her home yeah and it's a home where she's like had trauma and she's been away from for a long time but she says in the film you know she wanted to come home and Mm. she wanted to make something like you know do something for this town Mm. and whatnot and so for me at the end of the film Jean deciding to stay felt really good I don't quite know how to reconcile that because I I absolutely understand Fiona Shaw's opinion and, like, any random queer person who sees this who is like, oh, okay, so they broke up. Great. Revolutionary. Great job. (laughs) Like, I I understand that as well, and I think that you kind of just, like, can't do that ending Mm. for queer film, particularly, like, queer period pieces. Mm. But also it feels absolutely correct to me that Lydia leaves and Jean stays. Yeah, and I think that's very fair. And I think certainly the nature of Jean's relationship with the town and her sort of passion for it and connection to it Mm. is, I think, played up more in the film than Mm. it is in the book. Okay, And so I think, yeah, given what the film does with that and how she is very passionate about, you know, protecting the people of the town and um, looking after them no matter what, I guess you know one of the differences we already talked about was the way she interacts with Annie's mother yeah um when Annie has had the forced abortion done to her yeah and the kind of negotiating she does in the novel whereas in the film she just goes and helps yeah um as a doctor should as a doctor should and so I guess in the novel it does make sense for her to move away because Mm. she doesn't have the same yeah yeah emotional connection that's interesting because I, I I guess it makes more sense that that's straightforwardly like, happy ending given what you've clarified about that because to me you know I'd heard people kind of say it's a happy ending in the book and it's not in the film and, and criticised it like, fairly reasonably on the basis of that but to me without that awareness that like Jean and the town isn't really a loss mm-hmm. to me both of those endings seemed like just different sacrifices yeah yeah certainly and I think maybe I think maybe the way that Yankel has chosen to depict that mm-hmm. um, is maybe more reflective of her thinking about the kind of feminist angle Mm-hmm. of the plot line rather than the lesbian angle in the sense that obviously part of the story revolves around Jean being a woman doctor in yeah. the 50s in a rural setting mm-hmm. and so the film ending with her deciding to stay and being the doctor yeah. for this place and adopting this kind of very senior role within the town yeah. is a quite a powerful ending for that character and quite a positive ending mm. on the other hand making that storyline work in that way and making subtle tweaks to her character to make that a more important part of her story Mm. does mean that inevitably you are going to have to break up her and Lydia Um, because yeah I agree with your analysis that Lydia does have to move away and that's apparent both in the novel and in the film. Yeah. It's interesting how like if we agree that both of those endings are not uncomplicatedly happy Mm. like there's both sacrifices being made in each one Mm -hmm. how just because of I guess like the norms we're used to in queer cinema one of those just reads is so much worse Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. that you can kind of like they can still suffer and have to leave and whatnot but they stay together so that's a happy ending yeah I mean and I think that's part of you know people often care more about 
the relationship, mm. particularly romantic relationships, succeeding in plots and care less about other kinds of relationships. In this case, it's the relationship between a woman and her sort of family legacy and her hometown. But in other cases, it's often, you know, comparative between, like, friendships and romantic relationships. Mm. People often tend to prioritise romantic relationships. What did you think of the relationship between the two of them while we're, like, talking about it directly? I thought that the relationship developed quite well. I think the actresses did a lot of work, but also the cinematography and the kind of music and sound design did a lot of work to kind of build up the tension between them. Mm. Yeah, I thought it felt fairly organic and fairly earned, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote. Obviously, insofar as any romantic relationship being depicted on film will often be somewhat arbitrary because we can't be inside that person's head in the way that you can in a book. Mm, okay. But yeah, I thought it worked. What did you think? Uh, no, I, I, okay. I was I was like, I mean, I'll buy it because you're telling me to. Yeah. But I don't know. I think it just like happened very quickly and it felt somewhat like this is the plot of the film. So these characters are going to get together mm. as opposed to like feeling organic or anything like mm. that. They're like meet cute. <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> in that, like, Lydia hears from Charlie that the new doctor has given him books and asked him to, like, come over to their house and storms over there thinking that the new doctor is a male pedophile. Yeah. And finds out it's this hot lady instead, and that's just such a bizarre meet cute to me. Yeah, true. And I think that's different in the book. I don't think there's ever an implication that. It's a male doctor. Mm. And then, like, the next time, correct me if I'm wrong, that they see each other, Lydia just sort of goes over to her house and tells her that, like, my husband's left me, we're probably going to be evicted. Sorry, anyway, I should go. And then, mm. like, basically pretty much after that, they move in together. And mm. obviously, like, them moving in together isn't we're moving in together as an expression of our commitment as a couple, like, mm. not in a relationship yet. Mm. But I think just kind of, like, manoeuvring those characters to the point where they were living together and obviously, like, had some kind of connection... And then, like, being able to build a romantic relationship from there. Like, getting them to that point felt, like, so forced and so stiff to me. And then, like, from there, like, fine. Yeah, okay. I think both of the women's relationship with Charlie was more interesting. I feel like that child actor played off of both of those women better than the women necessarily played off each other. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and certainly the relationship between Charlie and his mother is one that gets a lot of time in the novel and gets Mm -hmm. a lot of focus. And there's definitely points in the novel where there's conflict between Lydia and Jean, Mm -hmm. partially because of just Lydia's focus on her son. Like, not severe conflict, but like... Yeah, sure. I did find that interesting in that respect. Mm -hmm. I understand, I think that's a reasonable take in terms of the way that they get to the point where they start to develop romantic feelings for each other is quite forced and does feel somewhat contrived. Oh no, we've crashed the car and the only hotel room left has two beds. Has one bed even. (laughs) That said, I think maybe I had more positive feelings about their general interactions with each other and how much they developed chemistry across the course of the film. And... Certainly some of the reviews I read were quite positive about the two actresses. I think that a lot of it was... I think a lot of the scenes I found quite difficult to get through because Anna Parkman cannot act through the accent she is trying to do. Yeah, I am not someone who ever really is bothered by quote-unquote bad accents, which, I mean, I don't think I really need quotation marks for that. (laughs) It is a pretty bad accent. Um, So it didn't bother me too much, but I can definitely understand why it would bother you. It's less that it bothers me because it's a bad accent, and more because I feel like because she was struggling with the accent so much, Mm. she couldn't really act. Like, the inflection she was doing with her voice, she had to try so hard to make it sound Scottish 
that she couldn't make it sound like tender or mm-hmm. happy or anything as well. Mm. Not to throw too much shade on her. I think most of the time when actors have bad accents it's because of like insufficient preparation time, things that aren't their fault. But yeah. like, oof. <laughs> My god. <laughs> yeah, certainly if you are Scottish, maybe skip this one. Just make it a drinking game. Or make it a drinking game, yeah. I don't know. I mean, presumably if you're Scottish you've seen a lot of terrible oh, yeah, yeah, Scottish yeah, yeah, accents yeah, yeah. put to film yeah. over the course of your life. At least it's not like an overly exaggerated Scottish accent. Yeah, no, it's certainly not a stereotypical no, Scottish accent. Just not a Scottish accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the plus side, at least you know, in this movie about two queer women, one of the women playing the main characters is in fact queer. So that's nice. That is nice. I can't speak to Holiday Granger. I there isn't that much biographical information about her online. But Anna Paquin is bi, guys. So that's good. But it's like a terrible deal. Like you can have a bisexual actress, but she cannot do the accent. <laughs> what do you choose? <laughs> uh, a, yeah, a Faustian bargain. <laughs> so I guess the other thing that I would like to talk about is just like Charlie. Yeah. Okay. So as we've noted, the film starts with his like adult self narrating and ends on that as well mm-hmm. which is the same in the novel yeah why what do you think that is for yeah so in the novel it ends with him going to visit his father okay as an adult yeah and he sort of has this conversation with him that's quite stilted and awkward and confrontational. And the novel actually ends with he sort of gets to the point where he's trying to ask his father why he did all these things and why he acted the way he did. Yeah. And his father's being very reticent and is also at this point, like, seemingly slightly frail and just, like, not really with it. He seems to be a bit of an alcoholic. Yeah. And Charlie gets frustrated and sort of gets up as if to hit him. Okay. And then his father, like, flinches. And Charlie just has this moment of like, oh, you're afraid of me. Mm. And that's kind of how the novel ends, mm, which, okay. is, which is interesting. Yeah. And I think kind of justifies more the premise of having Charlie begin and end the novel in terms of the kind of development of how Charlie perceives his father and perceives the world. Mm. And then by the end... I guess would we say that Charlie is the... Who is the protagonist of this film? That's a really good question. Yeah, that doesn't have to be one, obviously. Mm. But I, I guess I kind of went back and forth on like you know, maybe I'm trying to put the film in a box and like it doesn't exist in that box and mm. I am the problem. Mm-hmm. Between kind of being like you know this film is definitely about these two women's relationship and not fully through Charlie's point of view, mm. but also focused on Charlie. And I guess I kind of felt like I would have been happier if it committed more to either one. Yeah. I mean, we've spoken a bit already about how in the film, I feel like Jean does get more of her own arc, mm. which is an interesting choice to add to take a story that's already split perspectives. Yeah. And we do get Jean's perspective in the novel as yeah. well as okay. Lydia's and Charlie's. Yeah. But to take that and instead of maybe eliminating one of those or downgrading one of those characters instead elevating Jean to the point where it really is three intersecting plot lines Mm. where, yeah, you sort of have Charlie's coming of age, Lydia's freedom from her ex and Jean's coming into her own as the inheritor to her father's Mm. medical practice and Bees, who she gives up the Bees in the novel. Oh, okay, sure. She just finds someone to look after them. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Whatever. <laughs> I um, don't know what the bees are meant to be. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't think, like, obviously films and books have 
in the past, you know, it's happened. We've managed to juggle multiple perspectives or, like, ensemble casts or whatever. Mm. But it didn't quite feel like that. I don't know how to quantify that, that it was both about Lydia and Jean and it was both about Charlie Mm. and that didn't quite marry into a whole. Yeah. No, I would agree. And I think definitely in the film, yeah, having Charlie narrate the ending, I guess this sort of ties into what we spoke about earlier in terms of the magical realism element Mm. and whether or not Charlie is an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. I guess just that's kind of what they were going for and, you know, I guess from our perspective it didn't really land. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well because as you're saying in the book, we sort of quote-unquote like see Charlie and that he's like doing things in scenes as an adult. Mm. But we don't ever see adult Charlie Mm. in the film. We Mm. just have this disembodied voice, Mm -hmm. which in a novel where we've already like slightly undermined reality a bit is a weird feeling. Yeah. Like the closest thing I could come to is like this is what this is for, this like narrative device, presuming they've decided that it's worthwhile and it's not just like a holdover from the book. Yeah. Is that at the end he talks about like Jean and Lydia's relationship kind of heralded change. Yeah. And you know, we see like Annie and her boyfriend remaining together as an interracial mm, couple, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in hand, we see someone painting over the, like, slur that's been painted outside Jane's practice and so forth, and it's kind of this, like, you know, the child who is now the adult, making it clear that, like, change happened, you know, homophobic attitudes become less, etc. Yeah. And I'm like, I guess that does that, but I don't know if Charlie doing that did anything for me that, like, Lydia saying those things wouldn't have done. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's not like Lydia is old. an old yeah. character, right? Like, like yeah. Lydia's still a young woman over the course of the events mm. of the film. And, like, in the book she kind of talks about that, how, you know, she feels older than she actually is because she's had a child as opposed yeah. to some of the other women who work at the factory. Yeah. One of the things, just as an aside, the factory that Lydia works in in the book mm. is an electrical factory that was formerly a munitions factory. Whereas in the film it's... A, like a textiles. Yeah, thing. like a textiles That's kind really of interesting because those two things have such different vibes. And like the textile thing almost made it feel like older than mm. it was and mm-hmm. kind of felt really like, you know, oh, in the mill in Victorian times. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. I think that almost would have been good because one of the things that is present in the film but doesn't go explored very much is how this is like just post-war and how that is having an effect on the town still like that's why Robbie is allegedly so messed up is because he's been to war Mm. and so forth and so like having it visibly be being repurposed from a munitions factory could have been interesting but yeah and it's something that's described in one of Charlie's chapters where one of the times when he's just like exploring around the town Mm. um, he's at like the back of the factory area and there's like visible signs of it having been bombed. And that would have been a really cool thing to do visually as well. Um, So that's a bit disappointing. I guess the other thing I wanted to note with Charlie is how he sort of feels as a, like, realistic child character. Mm -hmm. Because I, like, I'm disinterested in Charlie. No fault of, like, the people who made this film or book. I just, like, I don't have a child, you know? Whatever. So... I was, like, not inclined to find him the interesting part of the film, but I thought that he was done quite well. Mm -hmm. Like, I sort of noticed the way that he talks a few times I noted as really interesting. So when he and his friend are in the woods one day and they, like, find Annie and her boyfriend 
making out and he like sticks his hand down Annie's pants you know Charlie goes and he tells the bees like he touched her down there what why would anyone do that kind of thing Mm. and then when he runs away from Jean and Lydia and goes to his dad and aunt Mm -hmm. he uses the exact same language to describe what is seen he says she touched her down there Mm. and I just like that could very well be the exact same act that both couples were doing that he witnessed yeah yeah but I feel like it just felt very much like it didn't necessarily have to be a literal description it was just a child's way of trying to convey I saw two people in an intimate moment that shocked me yeah, it's a good point. And that's definitely, like, it's often a problem in media that has children, that the children don't act like children. Mm. And, like, a similar point of him kind of, like, using language that doesn't necessarily exactly fit the situation, but is trying to convey, you know, some sort of understanding and language is heard, is, mm. like, by the time he has already run away and he's staying with his dad, mm. he asks, like, am I going to be taken away? Mm. And I can't remember where this comes up before, but this is something that's been said before when he was, like, with Jean and Lydia. Mm. And, like, it's just interesting to consider what he means by be taken away. Mm. Because he's been taken away by this point. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. it's happened, Charlie. Like, does he mean by some third party, by the state or something? Mm. Or does he just mean, like, am I not going to be in a, like, stable, loving family? It actually, it makes me think of how, and I mean, adults do this often, where something they don't like is happening and they're kind of like, oh, someone should stop this or someone should intervene or whatever. And it's like, who are you talking about here? Mm. Like, who is the someone here? You presumably mean the government, but do you really want the government to be involved in this fairly petty situation or whatever it is? Mm. And yeah, it does often come across as quite childish. So it's, yeah, yeah, interesting that you would pick up on Charlie kind of doing that. It's a good example of a child sort of being a child as opposed to just a plot device. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think in the novel, Shaw does quite a good job of having this child's voice and child's perspective on the events that are going on. I guess I also wanted to just sort of talk a bit about how, you know, we've mentioned that Charlie does create some agency for himself in running away when he finds Jean and Lydia together. And I thought it was interesting to sort of talk about how, to some degree, that is influenced by homophobia. Yeah. But to some degree, it's also because of this sort of ongoing dialogue about like secrets and about like staying genuine with each other that he and his mum have throughout the yeah and it it feels like a betrayal to him yeah not necessarily in terms of the fact that she's with another woman but that she didn't tell him about it Mm. yeah like his immediate reaction is like you're always keeping secrets and leaving me out and whatnot and given that he's already been abandoned by one parent Mm. you know it's a sort of expression of like fear abandonment by another Mm. but it has these like consequences that he can't fully understand yeah and whatnot and I thought that was interesting it sort of resolved in like a few lines later on where Lydia's like look a lie and a secret on the same things we're never gonna know everything about each other you know I'm the same person and it's like oh god that would have been so good if it had been done I guess sort of just like more yeah yeah and it's interesting that they would go with that more that's quite a nuanced take um Mm. I feel like in perhaps a lesser film you know it would have been very easy to sort of just be like well no more secrets between us when they sort of are reunited Mm. to have a sort of easier more dramatic reunion but instead 
the film does shy away from that kind of easy... Yeah, like Charlie seems to accept this and mm. I buy that their relationship is sort of healed from that point. Mm. But I think it, it would have been good if Charlie had been given some like more dialogue in that scene to show him kind of coming to that realisation of like, you know, my mum has her own life as well and that's why yeah. it doesn't yeah. mean that she's not like mine. Yeah, and that could have even been something that could have come up in that end mm. dialogue from Charlie as well. Yeah, or I mean, even if they'd just taken one of those lines that Lydia says in that exchange and just given it to Charlie himself, yeah, I'll just yeah. have him say like, no, it's okay, a secret isn't a lie. Mm. I have my secrets that I tell the bees or something like that. Mm, mm. I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of things in this film where it's, like, good, but I would have liked if they'd just, like, gone a little bit further with it. But yeah. given that this film was sort of, like, decent length and they were already doing a lot, mm. maybe that was fated never to be. Yeah, and I think certainly it sounds like they were struggling a little bit budget-wise, partially because they had 40,000 bees. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they got to a point where they were, like, maybe all of this outrageous bee costing was not necessary for this film but they just committed too hard and they had like a bee whisperer sleeping in a beehive out the back so they're like I mean we can't stop it now <laughs> yeah I mean they had to drop employment contracts for all 40,000 of those bees <laughs> bees <laughs> so that's about all we have to say about tell it to the bees if you've enjoyed this episode please follow us on tumblr twitter and facebook as queer as fact you can also support us via our patreon or our redbubble store where we are queer as fact and if you enjoyed this episode or one of our other episodes episodes in particular, you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which is a great way to help us grow our audience. We respectfully acknowledge the Yalakut Wilam clan of the Boon Wurrung. We pay our respect to their elders, both past and present, and we acknowledge and uphold their continuing relationship to the land upon which this podcast was recorded. Our next episode will be another Queer as Fiction episode. Scheduling as hell, time is meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back on the 15th with the early German lesbian film, Mädchen in Uniform. 